Okay. That was going to be the title of my life memoirs. <laughs> Failure storytelling. So uh, it's so this just got really awkward, Serge. Welcome back, podcast listeners. This is episode 10 of the OPP. That's Otters Are Pretty Perfect, also known as the Open Practice Podcast. We are a sister podcast to the Open Practice Library website, where we talk about practices and how to make highly effective and efficient teams. I'm Matt Sakani, one of your co-hosts, and with me is the fabulous, the wonderful Jerry Becker. Hey, hey, everybody. I couldn't tell if you were like on the fence about otters being perfect. It's like, I didn't know which way to read that. Otters are like pretty perfect. Or is it like otters are pretty perfect? Otters are pretty damn cute as that. That's for sure. Okay. Well, I I don't think anybody would dare argue with that. They did. They're going to be on the wrong side of history. That's for sure. Yeah. New guest this week. One of my favorite people to join us on this particular episode of the Open Practice Podcast. Serge Laurent Bow. Welcome, Serge. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the warm and kind intro. Feel so special and honored to be um, and to engage to this discussion with one of my favorite peoples in the whole world, Jerry Matthews. Good to be here. So, you don't have you don't I have know. to say all that, Serge. But seriously, uh, go on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really interested in Serge. Who are you, and what have you been up to? Besides COVID, um, <laughs> never heard aside of that. Beside that thing, <laughs> I'm a, like to consider myself a change agent. I have a true passion for people achieving their excellence and expressing themselves in the best way and also achieving their personal goals. They could also be organizational goals. And that leads me to do the favorite job, my best job in the whole world. Currently work with Red Hat, specifically at the Open Innovation Lab. And I'm an engagement lead. And I get to lead the amazing, immersive, transformation and initiative where we not only show people uh, how to build software faster, but also transform their way of thinking and doing things by, by introducing them to numerous cultural transformation initiatives that we continuously build and we're presenting at the Open Practice Library uh, website. I love the fact that you kind of called yourself a bit of like a change agent, just as like a a small little bit change agent engagement lead. I love to think of myself in the the amount of energy that I end up exuding and what the way that I'm feeling on almost a day to day in the form of kind of like a spirit animal. And Mm. so we love asking every guest inside of our otters are pretty perfect podcast. Just kidding. Open practice podcast. (laughs) And we love asking what spirit animal do you feel that you are embodying right now? Right at this moment. Right here, right now. I feel like I'm embodying a nice little lab rat. Simply because I feel like I'm here to serve right now at this time. And I feel like I want to be used to solve the world problems. I want to be, man- you know, <laughs> poked. 
uh, <laughs> any way possible, as long as I'm adding value and contributing to the world becoming a better place. So I'm like a perfect lab rat right now. Well, I, I, I could totally see that. Uh, all eyes are on you. Well, all ears are on you right now, Serge. So we're, we're interested to hear what you have to say and how you run with this episode. But um, that kind of brings us into the topic for the episode. So what, what did you want to bring to the table today? What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about the vampire. Um, it's uh, terms that we just coined. It simply stands for developers empathy. I've been working on this project with uh, an internal colleague of mine, Jim Barton. Shout out to Jim, by the way. The goal was to perhaps um, learn from how developers work together in order to create a better working environment for them. I would say safe space so that we can build software in a better way. So it's, uh, the, 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 term, the full term is developers empathy, and then we coined a term dev empathy. What were the, the situations or the experiences that you've had that you saw the need for developing dev empathy? Um, I've been in the transformation of space for over 12 years now. And I've heard people talk about the teams that when they talk about products, I heard people talk about the teams that are building the products. I've heard people talk about, um, when I'm talking about building the product, I, I, I mean envisioning the product, designing the product. I've heard people talk about uh, the stakeholders that are consuming the products. And for some reason, I haven't heard a lot about a value added on, on the conversation that focus on the people that are actually doing the work that would turn and become the product. I felt like there was a need to emphasize that bridge actually between product design and um, you want to call it product usability, product ready or product consumptions um, by introducing um, a new way of thinking about the people that are doing the work in the ways that they will, if, if we properly include them and introduce them to the conversation, they will influence the way that the product is consumed. They will also influence the way that the product is designed. That's really cool. So within the developer empathy, how, how are you able to know that this exists on the team? I love the introduction of the concept and, and why it's necessary and, and even how you started even like diving into this space. But how do you know that like a team has this developer empathy or does not have this developer empathy? What, what, is, what, what, what uh, symptoms or things are looked for? Awesome. Well, you know, the, the model here is to help us identify how we can um, include developers into the complete decision-making process of, of the development. Far too often I've seen um, stakeholders celebrating product and just focusing on the face front, on the design and the working product, but not really talking about or recognizing the ingenuity and the level of complexity that is in the back end of the product. I feel like developers, which are the people doing the work, felt celebrated because the product was being used, but we celebrated more of the front end on the design and the ease of use, rather than the complexity. Perhaps sometimes we didn't even understand the complexity. And all this, the level of complexity that was involved and all this 
fall back into putting a lot of frictions and pressures on the teams that in turn will lead them not to perform at their best. So organizations are um, focused more on performance in general. Why are we seeking for that and specifically in this agile culture? We attach our definition of success to um, velocity and uh, speed, to, uh, speed to market, etc. But we do not um, create enough space for developers or people that are actually doing the complex work to be appreciated and celebrated. Yeah, that actually reminds me of, uh, or it brings to my mind, like the design iceberg to where, uh, you know, how an iceberg sits inside of the ocean. The tip of the iceberg is usually that visual design. And that's what most people end up seeing and what, what you're saying is really celebrating. But under the surface of what most end up seeing, there's a massive amount of iceberg that's not necessarily seen. And one of those aspects, aside from like user research and, and functional specking and, and scope stuff, is really the structure and uh, like the infrastructure design, uh, the developer decision making and, and complexity that happens to create that sort of... Uh, foundational layer in which the application could be built and, and, and feature sets are built upon. And, and it seems like we're trying to dig into that aspect of uh, product creation. Yeah. And I'm sure a, a lot of that innovation comes out of having a team that, that understands one another where, where that empathy comes in, you know, you have these cross-functional skill sets coming together with different people and when they can empathize with other skill sets on the team, it really helps build that trust. And that's when the best elements of innovation can, can happen is when everybody trusts one another and understands one another and builds on ideas rather than shooting things down, which is really cool. So like when you, when you look to specifically kind of target the, the developer empathy within a product team, how how have you gone about doing that um, from, is that something you come in with intentionally at the start of a project or is it something that happens throughout? Um, you know, how do you, how do you actually go about applying that empathy and, or building it and then applying it, I guess? I mean, Jerry, you couldn't have um, asked me that this question in a better way. Your introduction was kind of the answer already. Um, establishing trust and true psychological safety it's the baseline and the foundation in building such a team, right? Um, and really understanding what that means. Today, we are we believe that we're practicing psychological safety, but in reality, we're practicing some level of control of psychological safety. Psychological, psychological safety in itself should not have any restrictions, if you really think about it. I should be completely free to fail, without being blamed, right? But in the organizations today, the structure that we promote and the psychological safety that we promote still have a lot of restrictions. Um, so they know that we're building an environment where we promote fail fast. Emotionally, they are not motivated to fail. So building an intentional, psychologically safe environment is the foundation of standing a team that will be completely um, uh, vulnerable, and then that also would create the most innovative software as possible. Dev empathy itself um, doesn't necessarily 
it's not a transformational culture that happens on a team level beyond psychological safety. It's also um, a, a culture or principle that applies directly to the leaders and the people interacting with the team in helping them communicate better with the team, not to, to first of all, facilitate and forge that psychological safety among the team members, but also within the environment that it, with, where the team lives. Again. Yeah, so Serge, I, I love the developer-centric mentality on there's so much complexity and even decision-making that that needs to occur at that kind of like infrastructure or platform structure kind of like level. Uh, and we need to emphasize on trying to draw that out as well as looking to celebrate that kind of a thing. And I love how you linked trust and psychological safety being the key to creating that that landing zone, shall we say, uh, in order to create this this developer empathy inside of the team, and and what you called out just a second ago with saying this is more than just the delivery team. This includes stakeholders. This includes uh, uh, like even other SMEs of kind of like including them in that understanding uh, can be really key. And so I was wondering what your like favorite practices that helps create that that trust that psychological safety in the teams that you've worked with like what what were kind of your go-to practices that you've used that help create those things demo day <laughs> demo day so uh what do you mean by demo day are we talking just a sprint review uh you know when you're thinking of like scrum or is this something that's more it's something that's uh, that that could be categorized as a as a sprint review, but with a, little, a bit more emphasis in celebrating every sprint review and making it a special event, more than just a meeting and a touch point. So yeah, that's what I mean by by um, demo day. And the reason why demo day comes first because it's the day that leadership and developers get to interact, right? is that day on, in that time that we get a chance to truly build that psychological safety that we want to start building in the team where we have the external, the, the influencers of the external environment, but we also have the contributors themselves, mm -hmm. right? And in, in my suggestions here, I want to introduce more of presenting the back end of work that was done, the level of complexity we had to overcome that in a sense starts creating some empathy towards the people viewing the work. So next time they think about pushing teachers to you, they will consider and be more mindful perhaps of the level of complexity they are introducing to the system, which will now manage their expectations for you to produce the future quick enough. So that's the, in a nutshell, that's what I kick off with, with demo days. They should be celebrated, they should be organized, there should be music around it, it should be live, a real live event where we get to talk about the beautiful work that was done and we also get to talk about how we got there. I love how you said that it needed to be organized and kind of like include all the work. It, it brings to mind like something that's very, uh, very core to me around show the way of working. Share those stories that says, here's how we worked. Uh, you called out another like favorite practice of mine, which is like mobbing and pairing. Uh, that concept of mobbing and pairing 
brings empathy to those that are mobbing and pairing because you're kind of sharing that workload and working a complex technical problem uh, together or any complex problem. And then you are sharing that, that way of working with everybody in the demo day because it's more than just here's the product we created. Here's how we built that product that and, cool. and walking people through that is, is, is very important. And, and I love that you called that out. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, it, it's interesting because oftentimes design, uh, the job of design is often to kind of bury the complexity of development and make it super simple for users. Right. But that's the kind of thing that is more tangible for stakeholders during demos. Yeah. And so that's a lot of times the stuff that's highlighted is, you know, that more tip of the iceberg yeah. type stuff that really shines the spotlight on, you know, design and UX and things like that. Um, and so I love, you know, if I'm, if I'm understanding the concept of dev empathy, it's really this mentality of being intentional about highlighting and spotlighting the work of the developers in an equal balance to that of other skill sets on the team. That's correct. And I love, yeah. And I, and I think the demo is, is a really good place to kind of show, you know, more of the story and tell more of the story about, you know, what were some of the challenges that needed to be overcome in order to make this thing, the simple intuitive thing that you're seeing on the screen, it took a lot of work and a lot of stuff is going on in the background. So leaving time in your demos in order to tell the full story of not only this is what's happening on the front end, but let's talk about what's happening on the back end and how we got to the solution is a great way to highlight that. So, so I'm starting to see like a couple of elements here in Dev Empathy. And one of them is kind of the kudos, right? You know, like let's highlight the work that was done in our demos and, and our share outs. But I feel like there's this other element of you have to start to build that empathy within the team itself. And so how do you approach building that in the team first? So we, we started talking about it in terms of promoting and pushing more of the mobbing activities, but we also here encourage and um, people to do what I call um, the Socratic method is using a set of questions to force collaboration and contributions, right? Always asking and engaging our team members and our team players to contribute rather than focusing on giving them a task and telling them to go do it, right? So even if I want to give you a task, I will ask you, how, we can, how can we achieve this? Instead of just giving you the task and say, you are role, task role number three, and that's what you got to do this spring, right? We turn that into a conversation that creates and starts exposing the level of complexity that associated to the story and force other developers in the team to want to be part of it and give a little bit of their genius to help you get there faster. Traditionally, because of the genius stigma, we also force the developer to protect that part of him where he doesn't want to reveal himself in front of people, in front of other developers specifically, we need to restore the courage in him to share about the level of difficulties that it would take to solve um, a simple problem on the Kanban board. 
And that's where we, we, we kind of forge that empathy within the team. And that's where we push them to solve those problems together, thus um, pairing or mobbing. And that's where we get to an accelerated velocity. And there's something that we do not tap into enough. It's simply because we've identified developers as task pushers. Um, and we do not need necessarily really include them in a conversation process, like the holistic conversation process of the product. And we missed out on an opportunity of their genius. They're bringing so much more to the table than we're tapping into in terms of imagination and creativity. So that empathy is also built with the extended leadership teams, like the product teams. When we include developers in the design process and value their input, even though most developers will say, I design, I don't know how to design a box to save my life, but giving them enough value in that um, design process to um, capitalize on the lip of the genius and the creativity that they have. Yeah, bringing those, um, the, the developers into a couple of team activities or practices like is solution sketching or you know crazy eights and stuff like that is is a great way to to not only give them more ownership of over what the thing looks like but i've also found it's a great way to bring a lot of those um, holistic conversations that need to happen not just front-end focus but what does this look like in terms of implementing the actual thing it's a great way to bring up that conversation because then you know you have designers and developers talking about you know, the same thing, trying to design an experience, but now you have that voice of feasibility in the room too, to be able to catch things or correct things or, or pivot in order to, you know, be able to go forward with an idea that's actually going to be able to be implemented. Implemented fast enough, beautifully said, and practices like event storming sometimes help us achieve and get, get to that conversation. And um, there's, there's, there's also the fact that developers are really in tune with because of the continuous progress of, uh, of codes. Um, developers are really in tune with the latest tools out there, where when we exclude them in the conversation, we, and we're designing a product, we limit ourselves, we, we, our we limit our design, our thinking paradigm based on the tools and that we know exist. Developers spend a lot of time exploring and, and reading and they are right at the center, at the epicenter of innovation. And while designing innovation, I feel like we don't tap into them enough to figure out or to expand our creativity. Yeah, and kind of honing in on the, at least my working definition of, of innovation is just creative, creative problem solving with business value, especially when we're talking about doing it on product teams. It's just tapping into that creativity and, and solving problems in a lot of way that generates real value to your users, right? So, you know, being able to, to create that psychological safety on the team where everybody feels safe, safe enough to be vulnerable with their ideas and, and sharing things that might be a little outside of the box, but in order to really find where those areas of innovation might be, which, which you know, in the long term could end up being, you know, uh, a feature differentiator for you, you know, once you, once you implement the things that, that you think are of real value to your users and can validate them. Yeah. But bringing it back to, you know, that, that idea of psychological safety, you had mentioned that 
what you want to be able to do with developers is for them to be able to talk about the process of how they found what right looks like mm -hmm. for an answer. So mm -hmm. sharing their failures and stuff. Mm -hmm. Have you found that sometimes that can be a little hard, like for, for those, for certain personalities, for them to be vulnerable in sharing their failures and, and how, how do you encourage that kind of behavior on a team? Um, like kind of when you're starting a project and throughout the project. That, that's a good question. And, yeah, that's definitely expected. That's why we um coining the and recognizing that there's a genius stigma that do exist um among developers. So we need to coach them to the process of being more vulnerable and invite them to share more of their failures. And that's why we purposely designed the demo day to include the failure storytelling, while in 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 sort forcing them to talk about why they didn't they wouldn't talk about it naturally. And then we we hope that within the process, they will start seeing the value of sharing those, uh, sharing more openly, as is going to start affecting their relationship with product, with leadership, um, and then just, and also, there's just a truth in it about wanting to be celebrated for the level of complexity that I solved, not only for the button, for the red button. One thing that you understand and what that we see within organizations um, is that in terms of creating psychological, a psychological safe environment, is that we put barriers in that psychological safe space. And because we put those barriers, we limit the potential for innovation. It's very weird that most innovation and inventions do not come for well-structured organizations with policies and, and then, and then uh, a thousand of tools but come from teams that are built with less expectation on campus on campuses, right? Teams of friends that just hanging out and have established that baseline of camaraderie, of safe environment, an environment where we can talk about everything and fail truly and be celebrated in our failures, where we can truly experiment is the, is the environment that's forging innovation. I was going to say in sharing those failures, it makes sure that the team understands how you arrived at a conclusion, but it also allows them to, to learn from those also. So only one person has to go through it. I, I love building that. You called it failure storytelling into the demo agenda, which is really cool. I, I'll admit, though, that that was going to be the title of my life memoirs, <laughs> failure storytelling. So. Uh, it's so this just got really awkward, Serge, and I don't I don't want to get legal involved, so I might I might just let you have it, man, just just because I like you. You could definitely you could share that with the team. <laughs> I love the I love the acronym of a fail, right? First attempt in learning, because in the end, when you share that, when you have that failure story, uh, Jerry, you you mentioned the fact that it's like, hey, but we are still arrived at some conclusion. And that conclusion could be a learning. That con conclusion could be don't do this. Uh, and in the end, it's that sharing of knowledge that really helps propel people and, and generate that common understanding. I would almost posture as well that by sharing a failure, you've opened yourself up to a vulnerability, uh, like a level of vulnerability that others would then look to try and match. Because now you said... Here, here's where I am, and I'm comfortable here. 
and let's actually have that conversation because I'm putting myself out there and you can too. And it is okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely agree. Doing that some way help us work in a better environment in terms of better in terms of, I would say, what, um, energy, I would say, positive energy or negative energy. Let me tell you how I get there. Um, how, how do you amp up good energy? <laughs> <laughs> By removing friction, you amp up good energy. And friction comes from the level of demand and pressure that is posed on something specifically on the team that's what starts creating a lot of um stress the need for speed the need to deliver on time the need to please the need to meet our customer demands by removing that part making that part less um consequential you allow a space you you create a space where your team is just in better spirit and that's where we go back to getting your team to adopt and buy into why they're doing the thing they're doing and not uh, simply working for the paycheck, right? I love looking to create that, that kind of a effort. And you say that you do that as kind of like a change agent, as a uh, engagement lead uh, with the Open Innovation Labs team. Does it have to be driven by someone of your like expertise and caliber? Uh-oh, what's my expertise? I forgot. <laughs> Awesomeness. <laughs> I don't think I have any. Barrier breaker. <laughs> I think any candid, open, and humble person can do this work. I think Is there like, uh, so Serge, I, I mean, you, you are a humble, humble person. Uh, <laughs> is there a certain maybe like mentality... Um, that would be um, necessary in order to really create a lot of that psychologically safe area and bring up, because some of these conversations to reduce that friction can be sticky. And so is there like certain mm -hmm. soft skills or certain things that like a, like a budding facilitator, someone that wants to create this kind of developer empathy uh, on their teams, what they could really build and then apply? It's kind of like being a good empathizer by first using the um, Socratic method that I talk about in terms of engaging people to ask the hard question and have the hard conversations, but really valuing their opinions as well as they sharing their conflict or their disagreement, right? So technically the coaching style is that there's never a disagreement. It's just a point of view. And we are going to make this, this decision based on what's most feasible for your target outcome. Something that I was uh, like, is, it's, it's, it's just in my brain at this point, is generating a conversation without bias or argument mm -hmm. and the need to have in your back pocket de-escalation techniques mm -hmm. and ways that leverage guiding the group that you have together using their expertise to find the solution mm -hmm. and not necessarily providing them what that solution is. That level of finesse uh, sometimes is hard. I, 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 don't, I have no idea how to even get that kind of 
uh, skill set aside from just put yourself inside this situation and try something and gain that experience. It's like that 70, 20, 10 rule, uh, 10, 10% means that I now understand that, uh, what the Socratic method is of asking these hard questions without necessarily having the answer to force a conversation 20% to just kind of talk about it with other people about what they've done and just 70% dive in no floaties needed. That is correct. No floaties needed. I like that. It needs to be our, maybe that should be our podcast tagline. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe that'll be my new memoirs title. I, Ooh. Ooh, Jerry. <laughs> that's it. That's the thing. Serge, you can run with failure storytelling. I got a new one now. <laughs> no floaties needed. The next thing I want to lead in with is, uh, a topic that Matt introduced is just like reflections, right? So thinking back on the conversation that we just have uh, about Deb Empathy and either the own points that you made or or some of the aha moments that Matt and I had along the way, you know, what was what was something that in this podcast kind of like you're taking away and walking away with? And it's a question for everybody. And uh, I'll start out by saying that um, in understanding a little bit better about your your outcome, your target outcome of developer empathy, in in spotlighting the work of that skill set, and and the ways that you go about doing that, some of the techniques that you use, like you know building in failure storytelling into demos and highlighting a lot of the the good work that's done by the developers there, and you know focusing on building team trust and psychological safety and things like that, and and pairing and mobbing, right? that I actually see a lot of this stuff as skill set agnostic. Sometimes you go into a team and there are certain skill sets that aren't being highlighted uh, for whatever reason. I've been on teams where it's almost at the other end of the spectrum, right? Where it's like, you know, the, the engineers are running the show and design kind of gets put on the back burner or there's that silo between them, right? And so, um, you know, I could almost see this kind of thing being, you know, this, this team building empathy being applied to any of the skill sets on the team because the techniques that you're using to do it mm -hmm. can be applied to any skill set, which is, which is really cool and, and a lot more powerful, mm -hmm. but you're right. A lot of times it is that developer and that, that does need to get highlighted a lot. And, and maybe that's even some of the work of either a team lead or a facilitator or something is to kind of come in and observe and, and see like, Hey, is everybody kind of like on equal playing field here? You know, mm -hmm. is this a healthy team where everybody does value yeah. each other's opinions? And if not, you can implement some of these techniques that you're talking about in order to highlight those skills. That, that is completely correct. Thus, give me the opportunity to talk about a little bit about the um, core versus team mentality where teams have key roles they need to play. And crews have one goal they need to achieve. All right. So um, forging crews um, and gathering them and getting them fired up around their goal, um, remove the, the complexity that is laid on one person on one of, on their role. And then, um, um, allow them to tap into what you're talking about, Jerry. Sometimes the early needs for speed prevent us from tapping into the opportunities that will give you, that will give us the strength that we need ahead. And then we focus more on shooting fast without carving enough time to learn, to reframe, and then to execute. And 
for that needs to speed most of the time we're chasing to be um we're chasing for the speed to market to beat our competitors and position the best product in terms of in front of our customers and we often miss to value that our customers the real customers are willing to reward us even more if you took our time and showed them the level of difficulties that is taking us to get that to get them that product out there i hope that leaders can get to tap into the need their need to slow down their need to trust their team more to take time to create the space within which they can truly evolve within which they can truly create an ecosystem i love that i'm not sure mine's going to be as broad stroked awesome uh but you know i had a little bit of reflection so serge uh, thank you so much for for imparting like so much so much of that knowledge you just dropped so many nuggets in there the ones that stuck out to me were um really focusing in on reducing friction around the reduced reduction of the demand on time the demand to deliver the demand to get it right the demand to not have any failure baked into uh the, that delivery process that's going on right it's only build 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 uh, always progressing forward never actually taking the step back to reflect think and then maybe reduce those barriers to explore getting those those teams to really buy into why you were building something and bring everyone along on side on inside of that journey on the complexity to develop that product was something that was like really really cool for me and it's it's interesting in coaching circles you always talk about how you want to guide a conversation to a logical conclusion and you want to have people really solving their own problems and uh, when you called out the socratic method i was like ha huh, yes because in coaching conversations it's literally what you are doing you ask the questions you don't have an answer and you generate the conversation without informing your bias or creating like that screaming arguments it's a conversation and you use their expertise to generate a conclusion or some sort of a solution together because yeah. that's one that is bought into together and I, I love that and then failure storytelling uh, I, i'm bringing that that back uh, uh jerry jerry's memoir title here but <laughs> failure storytelling is awesome and and it's an intentional practice to learn and share and grow as a group i, I love it intentionality is such a big component in a lot of this stuff that we do as product teams is is what do you need to be intentional about and then how do you actually how do you become intentional about achieving the outcome of whatever it is that you're doing? So I, I like that too. How do you actually be intentional about celebrating failure? Put a spot in the demo agenda for it. There That's you a, go. A great call out, man. There you go. Yep. So with that, I do need to close this out. Unfortunately, I'm so oh, sad. Okay. So, there were a lot of practices mentioned uh, in this this short episode, and we will try and and get them all in, into the into the show notes as you can read maybe a little bit little bit down inside of there and and follow up, read a little bit about some of those practices uh, that you can then employ the this intentionality to create developer empathy. 
But while you can follow up on those practices, I don't think folks know how to follow up with you, Serge. How can folks follow or find or reach out to you? I'll let Jerry say my name. He says it so well. Because maybe if I say it, you won't be able to write it. It, roll, it rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Serge Laurentabau. There we go. <laughs> wow. Oh, I stay awake at night practicing that, Serge. Not just for this podcast. <laughs> in life. <laughs> Thank you, Jerry. Well, you can find me on LinkedIn and you can find me at sdbell at redhat.com. You could also find me among uh, uh, multiple conferences and talk across uh, in the space of transformation of, of change agents from uh, agile to DDDs. Um, I'm around, around and around. Did you just say you're on DVDs? Yeah, DDD conferences. Like, oh, DDD. I thought you said DVD. No, and no, I was no. like, oh, man, Surge in a movie. That's why we call Surge Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, stay open. Hey, you. High fives to you for listening to this episode of the Open Practice Podcast. That was awesome of you. And you should do it more often because who doesn't like more awesome stuff in their lives? It's awesome. If you like what you heard and you want to know more, feel free to head over to openpracticelibrary.com where you can find a wealth of activities and practices that you can run with your team in order to help get you from idea to delivery. And while you're there, why not upload your own stuff too? This is all about a community. We all need to share what's in our brains so that we can all get better at creating better ideas and turning those into better solutions for people. So contribute. We need it. If you want to keep up with us, you can also hit us up and follow us on Instagram at Open Practice Library. Thanks for listening and stay open.